Hi, and welcome to What A Mess Show. If you want to know the future of fashion and wonder how you can survive the crisis, make sure to tune in and listen to the top experts from fashion industry on this show. Today's guest is Rebecca Mortar, founder and CEO of Lone Design Club, a sustainable platform from London. For those who don't know me, my name is Domi Farag and I am an ultimate fashion chick. I started Mass Magazine when I was 18 years old and I took it to over 14 countries in distribution. Right now, we are an online and print publication that focuses on featuring amazing and creative talents from all around the world. In this podcast, I'll be talking to my friends, industry professionals, and fashion game chain. Hi. Hi, Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm quite well. Yeah. It was a shame good. that I couldn't, I couldn't join last time for the mental health event, but... Yeah, you yeah. were really ill, weren't you? Yeah, I had something like a flu, and I thought, again, I have coronavirus, so I kind of freaked out, and it was just, you know, yeah. in another space mentally, uh-huh. but yeah, um, so thank you so well, much. Well, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so thank you so much for accepting my invitation to be on the show. I really appreciate that. Um, no, for those yeah, for sure. For those who don't know, you're a founder and CEO of Lone Design Club, which is a um, sustainable platform in London. And you guys represent um, a lot of... Sorry, something just froze on my phone. You guys represent a lot of sustainable designers. So today we're going to be focusing on that topic. And I'm going to ask a little bit about sustainability and what you guys do and how you do it. But before that happens, I wanted to kind of, um, you know, go back and ask you, how did you like transition from being a fashion designer to like having your own platform and being a CEO of it? Yeah. um, Yeah, this goes back quite a long way, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started out as a designer myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I was trained in women's web design. and yeah, many. This is many moons ago that we're talking now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my own women's wear label. Um, I'd worked before that for brands like um, Alexander Wang, uh, Paul Costello, Simone Russia, mm-hmm. um, various designers. And um, I then um, I, I basically decided to start off on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, after university, my, the, my collection got a lot of interest, so I was working with people like Lady Gaga, mm. uh, Charlie XCX, Eve, some really amazing celebrities and publications. Mm-hmm. Um, but working with them in a very, you know, very initial uh, loans, pulling the, the typical kind of for a small early stage business, nothing glamorous, nothing mm-hmm. um, super fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that was the springboard. Um, and then we got offered to showcase at London Fashion Week, which was very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it was a very, I guess it was quite an interesting journey mm-hmm. um, of how do you turn something that's a passion and a hobby that you've been doing on the side to a job that actually pays the bills mm-hmm. um, and actually create a brand and create something that isn't just for the ease and a hobby, but actually is a business mm-hmm. um, that means that you personally can pay your rent, eat and survive, um, mm-hmm. also that will grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned very early on that being a designer is not the same as being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. They are very, very different things. Mm-hmm. And being having your own brand means that you're designing just about 10% of the time, if not less. You're doing everything else, mm-hmm. you know, especially starting out, you're often... Um, you know, you're the creative, you're doing the marketing, mm-hmm. you're doing the press reaches, you're doing your budgeting, your cash flows, you're doing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very, um, I guess it's a very, you know, hard kind of reality of businesses is, is hard. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's very different to just designing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then yeah we so we showed I feel like fashion has become kind of like a vanity fair kind of thing you know like everyone is trying to just be all about themselves and what they wear how they wear how they dress up um, how they show up to the show rather than actually about conversations and um, education and also sustainability do you feel like it's a moment now where we have to kind of look forward and say we have to stop or do you feel like fashion will just kind of continue that way if that makes sense in a very vain and superstitious way yeah i think this is a really good question um i and it's it's a part of the industry that it, it's it's a part of the industry that is more exclusive mm -hmm. um and i've always had an issue with i don't think fashion should be like that I think there are parts of the industry that are. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think fashion can have such a positive impact um, on us as humans and society. Mm -hmm. But it needs rethinking and it re needs changing. Mm -hmm. um, oops, sorry, my... <laughs> so okay. was, um, one of the best conversations that I've had through... Um, throughout the current, you know, working from home the pandemic environment, we've all been at home and we've all been reflecting and learning a lot. Mm -hmm. um, one of the best conversations I had that's really stuck with me is, and I think for me, this is what I hope uh, will continue and will come from this, is as an industry, and I think this is extended to more than just fashion, is focusing on relevance rather than newness. Mm. I think for me, there's too much there's too much, there's too much, it's all just too much, mm. too many huge, these shows, that are ex, you know, exuberant, yeah. extravagant, too many products created, it's too fast, it's too much, too much goes to landfill, mm -hmm. there's too much out there, we're all so overwhelmed by social media, mm -hmm. we're all so overwhelmed by all these, like you said, all these e-commerce sustainability platforms, it's all too much, mm. and I think we need to get back to what is relevant, and what fits in with our values mm. um, and get back to a more inclusive, honest mm -hmm. um, position, mm -hmm. which I do believe fashion can. Um, and it's one of the reasons that we promote slow fashion. You know, it's, you know, some people would say it's counter business because surely a business needs to make money and just you need to sell and sell. Yeah. But can't you... You know, if we can empower small brands that are producing almost on demand or very small runs that are upcycled products or that are considered sourced, sourced from considerate places, mm -hmm. manufactured in a slow fashion style that's keeping a person's lifestyle going, or sorry, a person's life going, mm -hmm. you know, in a very independent, small way, how it used to be, mm -hmm. you know, kind of 60 odd you know, 60, 80 years ago, I think that's where we should focus. Mm. We should know where all our products came from. We should know more about them and we should be taking the time to understand why they're special. Mm -hmm. They should have meaning. They should have nostalgia and there should be an experience attached mm -hmm. that's important to us. Mm -hmm. We have a, a jewellery brand that we work with called Elsa Tierney and I absolutely love her pieces and her because... Mm -hmm. Every person that buys from her, yes, it's a bit more expensive, but every piece is, you know, is carved by her, uh, by hand. She's a one-woman band. It's her life. It's her livelihood. These are stunning, beautiful pieces that you can wear every day. Mm -hmm. But they're even more special because you don't just buy one and then go back for another and another and another. You buy one and you buy it to hand down to generations. Mm -hmm. And I think that is important. We've lost our way with this overconsumption, mm -hmm. creating more and more and more. And what we should be focusing on, what's relevant and what's meaningful and what really matters. Mm -hmm. And how are you guys trying to attract, let's say, the average consumer, which doesn't really know much about fashion and feels kind of like fashion is generally not genuine um, because of all these people showing up to shows and a-list celebrities and things like that they can't really connect the dots and see that fashion can be honest can be sustainable you know whatever um so how are you trying to kind of you know take their attention and and say hey this is actually 
cool. Our fashion is just honest. Is um, you know, we represent a lot of great designers. Come and take a look. Come and discover. How do you do that? So yeah, this is a good question. Um, and it goes back to the root of of that goes back to the root of it for us. Mm-hmm. We it's important that we curate brands that we believe in and that we feel people want to wear and that we mm-hmm. like. And we do believe there is a standard to do that. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is we can only select brands that we believe have a conscious story. We don't have to put that at the forefront mm-hmm. of a conversation with a customer. And I'm quite frankly, I'm sick of seeing a brand, you know, of platforms that are a sustainable platform. Mm-hmm. Every business that starts up in this day and age should have a sustainable agenda. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. That it should just be it. Mm-hmm. You should not build a business now and not have a plan or have values and morals and a stance on what sustainability and ethics means to you. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't see how you'd be able to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just would be, it feels extremely immoral. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we do that's different to other platforms is that we're not trying to go too heavy on the sustainability and ethics side because we understand that for some customers it is overwhelming and it is too much. Mm-hmm. But if we can make it our responsibility to bring onto our platform brands that do fit into one into our criteria, mm-hmm. we can then still put our curation out there without having to shout um, and to use these buzzwords. Because again, like I said, I don't believe anyone can be 100% sustainable. It's mm-hmm. a very difficult bar to, you know, yeah. bar to meet. Um, but what we can do is make a conscious effort. And mm-hmm. as long as I can present customers with things I know they'll love, beautiful products, with that underlying factor that these are made super consciously, mm-hmm. and if they want to know more about that, I will happily tell them. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to lead with it. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think a lot of people have to kind of start understanding that fashion is not only about fancy things, but it's also conscious yeah. um, and can be honest and can be moral and can have values. I think that's... That's great that you guys are doing it. I'm really proud of what you do and how you do it. Also, I love the selection of your designers on the platform. I think you have a very diverse kind of approach to like how you select these people. So thanks a lot for doing that. And I want to ask you, how did things change for you because of coronavirus? You guys launched Fidgetal, which is a 24-7 store. What else changed? Um, I mean, everything changed. Our business was mm-hmm. is about 90, 80 to 90% based on physical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, selling small brands, you, there is a limit. Or selling smaller independent brands, it's, it's harder online. Mm-hmm. Um, it is more of a challenge and it's also not where we started or where we came from our bread and butter has always been creating in-store um, experiences and activations mm-hmm. um, creating a meaningful space for customers to connect with conscious designers um, so of course with this that was obliterated mm-hmm. um, we can't do the pop-up as we know it but mm-hmm. we have a lot of brands that are struggling and that have production cut short um, yeah. that can't access customers, mm-hmm. um, that don't have big e-com presence. Um, so it's we've been working a lot on trying to take everything we know digital, mm-hmm. getting the word out there about as many of our brands as possible, mm-hmm. um, encouraging people, if you are looking to buy something, consider your purchase. Mm-hmm. Shop consciously. Shop for something that you will love and keep and that will mm-hmm. last with you for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so digital, I guess, was a reaction Mm-hmm. to the current situation mm-hmm. um, we can't do our pop-up but what we can do is we can give local communities a brighter day mm-hmm. um, if they walk down the street they can see one of our windows that's full of QR codes and full of beautiful products and some beautiful impactful window displays mm-hmm. um, and they can you know they can interact they can go on a journey they can digitally scan a QR code mm-hmm. discover a designer discover um, a video discover um, watch live streaming, various things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's there to support the brands to get them out in front of customers still. 
Mm-hmm. And then also to give customers or to continue that conversation about shopping consciously mm-hmm. in a more, um, I guess, a current, uh, appropriate to the current climate. Mm-hmm. Encouraging safe shopping. Mm-hmm. Did the idea come from that, you know, people can't really interact with each other that much? So you had to kind of make it, um, you know, another experience kind of blocking people coming in, but still allowing them to see and experience what you guys have have to offer, basically. Yeah, I think it, it was, it's, yeah, it's come from, I guess, a mixture of, of things. Um mm-hmm. I mean, we work with so many landlords. We're very fortunate that we have very good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of, um, yeah, it came from a few places, a lot of empty units, which is very sad to see. There's more people leaving the high street now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe we will not have a high street in our lifetime anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to see it go because I think it for a lot of people it does mean you know, being able to walk down um, high street of independent stores is a really wonderful experience and yep. feeling. Yeah. Um, and we need that to keep that alive. Mm-hmm. Um, the creativity of brands, the way we, you know, um, unite and look after talent is so important. Mm-hmm. And those little local cafes or a local store that you love to buy you know, unique pieces from, I think they're very important and very special. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I guess it was a reaction we can't do what we currently are doing. Mm-hmm. Our landlords are struggling because they have tenants that are also struggling. Um, how can we help them? How can we get our brands in front of customers that will be, you know, going on their mm-hmm. daily walk down the street and want, you know, maybe a brighter experience? Um, so there's a combination of, I guess, how, what's the next, what's the COVID version of what we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and start preparing for retail opening again as well, mm-hmm. which is, is going to be interesting on the 15th. Yeah, so you guys will be opening on the 15th. And how do you plan? How do you see that actually? What do you think will happen? Do you think people will still like come in and um, kind of will be able to explore and want to explore the show, the shop and everything? Or people will be kind of like, okay, I don't want to go in anywhere, I'm scared. I think, I mean, it's it's such a hard one. Um, mm. I don't know. If we look at China, they had a lot of people that actually did go out and they called it revenge buying. Mm. Um, I think Hermes did something like 2.8 million in two days, if I remember correctly, which is crazy. Mm. Um, I think people really wanted to, a, a slight sense of normality. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to feel slightly normal again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a potential we'll see that here. Um, I do think there's a concern. Obviously, the British British are very different. Um, so maybe, maybe not. But I'd there see. is a concern of yeah. what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see a second wave? Um, because, you know, there's also a lot of conversation. Have we been as locked down? being um is lockdown now uh, being lifted is this actually um is this a good thing or mm-hmm. is it too soon mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are quite concerned what this means and what this will look like um but i mm-hmm. think the general consensus is we're looking at two weeks of potential people's optimism and positivity mm-hmm. but then that may start to subside depending on how things go but i think mm-hmm. we'll see yeah, I think the situation kind of divided the society um, because where I am, you know, we can go out, we can eat out, we can do anything, we can go shopping. And I have to say that I am somehow shocked and surprised by some people because they're very, very afraid of others. Um, and for example, I was um, about to take just you know an uber yesterday and the guy refused to give me a ride because he was genuinely scared of me so i think this situation tricked our minds a little bit too much and um, let's see how that goes for you guys and i do hope you know people will still want to explore fashion and buy um i have another question though how do you see yourself in five, ten years from now on? What would you like to achieve or change within the industry? 
Yeah, very um, much. <laughs> it is. It's very deep. It's mm-hmm. good. It's good. Um, so, I mean, my my goal, and it goes back to it goes back to why I chose to do Lone Design Club and not my own brand. I I want to believe, and I want to see a more sustainable and conscious future for fashion. Mm-hmm. I want people to consider how they purchase um i want the way we purchase to change i want people's wardrobes to change the way we design the way we manufacture the way we consume uh, to change um and i think that i have an ability or a voice with lone design club to be able to help Mm -hmm. definitely not to lead there are people out there doing much better but I do believe we all have a voice and we mm-hmm. all have a responsibility mm-hmm. to use it, uh, but to be informed and make decisions that are informed and are conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to believe that we're able to be part of the change. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to believe that, you know, by curating the brands we do and bringing specific brands on board, yeah. we're helping customers, at least some, I hope, Mm-hmm. consider how they purchase and consider why they purchase and those that decision making mm-hmm. i hope that we're able to help brands mm-hmm. and that we can work closer not only giving brands tools or resources but that we can actually become more integral in helping businesses lead the way in being more sustainable ethical and conscious um because i think it, it is so important um, I mean, it, it's not even something that we can question. It just has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do hope that, you know, through Lone Design Club, we can change, we can change retail. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, we want the high street to be a vibrant and bright space for people to come and experience and feel connected and feel together. Mm-hmm. And I think the high street plays a very important role in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has a duty um, you know, to support independent brands. And I believe shopping small is much better than shopping from, from larger companies. Mm-hmm. Um, their transparency, their artisanal approach um, is unique, it's different. Mm-hmm. A product that's come from a much more special place. Um, for me, that is, is really special. Mm-hmm. And supporting these talented designers that are so incredible at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so innovative, I think is is crucial um, for the fashion industry, especially. Mm-hmm. And what about yourself? Because you were one of the thirty under thirty uh, people that got <laughs> nominated. So I'm actually talking to an industry industry's leader, right? Um, so how do you? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, you're doing something that I think sparkles up a lot of. I don't know, positivity, you know, in the fashion industry. And I think it's greatly appreciated by many people. Um, so how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the future as an activist or, I don't know, um, founder of mul- multiple businesses? Or how do you see yourself? Mm. I, that is a tricky question. Mm. Um, and the I guess the answer is I don't know. Mm. Um, I... I don't know. I and I've I've learned. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. good to have a plan, mm-hmm. um, but I also know that things rarely go to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, twenty twenty. This is not how any of us expected the year to, to play out, and I think it's going to be a very pivotal moment mm-hmm. um, in everybody's life. You know, not just for business, not just personally, but in every aspect. Um, and we're all going to learn a lot from it. Mm-hmm. Um, falling over um but i do think yeah i think i think also has taught me that planning is important but also reacting um Mm -hmm. and going with the flow letting things happen Mm -hmm. yeah um and not putting too much pressure Mm -hmm. on forcing things but Mm -hmm. responding to what naturally and organically seems to Mm -hmm. um to happen or come i guess Mm -hmm. um yeah okay i think um i have the same approach when it comes to business you always have to 
actually see what's going to happen. You can't really plan everything out. It's just not possible. But I want to ask you about the Forbes 30 under 30. How did it happen for you? Did you get like nominated <laughs> by someone or how, how did it happen? So they, um, so actually it's kind of a funny story. Mm-hmm. My, one of the girls on my team, um, Amanda, who's our events manager, mm-hmm. um, she was just reading and reading about it, I think last year, I think it was last July. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, ah, oh, I'm going to nominate you. Ooh. And she just nominated me. Okay. Um, and then I got a message earlier this year asking me to fill out um, some documents and some forms and mm-hmm. various conversations and things. Um, yeah. Okay. So it was it was a very organic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's quite funny thinking back to that conversation, mm-hmm. and we all kind of like joked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But how it is, did it? It's amazing. How did it feel for you to be, you know, one of the, you know, nominated people? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's quite crazy and it's quite surreal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's good. I and mean, I guess maybe it's, I don't know, it, it gives me maybe a bit more or it requires of me to consider that I am a position which I should use my voice more mm-hmm. um, and I should be more communicative on my values and what mm-hmm. I believe and what I'm trying to do with my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that respect, it has had a positive impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been somebody to want to be at the forefront of, you know, be the face of something mm-hmm. or put myself in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I prefer to, I mean, I'm not a performer. I'm not an entertainer. It's not what's natural for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Instagram posting is mm-hmm. one of the most unnatural things I prefer to do. Mm-hmm. I will. I like to do to be active. I like to problem solve. I like to change things. Mm-hmm. I get a kick and adrenaline off that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like this has been an, an opportunity of, or I guess, a realization. Mm-hmm. Um, and Laura, our PR agent, who is always pushing me to do more things, um, <laughs> will agree. She's great. That, yeah. You know, it, this is a. It's important that mm-hmm. you know. I don't just push the business, but I am using my voice as well within this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to push the values and to push push for change and for certain things that we believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I must I must thank her for that. Yeah, Laura is great. For anybody that yeah. doesn't know, check out Laura McCluskey PR. It's it's a really, um, it's a very cool company led by an amazing woman. That's how we connected, actually. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, what are like your favorite? I mean, if you can choose, obviously, designers from your platform. <laughs> oh, it's like asking to choose your favorite child. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is—it's really hard. Um, the designers are, yeah, the brands that we work with, the brand side is a big, it is a massive passion side for me. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing them succeed, being part of that, and then when things don't go so well, which is what happens, you know, there are times that are tough, mm-hmm. um, you know, and things won't go as great, it's being there to try and help, mm-hmm. you know, fix or get out of a situation, um, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, something not performing or going as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is hard and I do take it mm-hmm. very personally um, the work I do with them in terms of favorite brands it's difficult um, but at the moment I've been loving or Bedouin um, mm-hmm. Andrea who runs Bedouin is I, I love um, her work I love her pieces mm-hmm. um, I own a few of them I think mm-hmm. they are just stunning mm-hmm. and she focuses very much on ethics um and her background is very much having seen, um, you know, poor treatment um, in the workplace and being exposed um, to unethical practices. Mm-hmm. It's a big part of her business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really get behind and support the values that she has um, and how she and the practices and technique, the process that she takes for that. But her pieces are stunning as well. And that's what I love. I don't understand why we have to compromise 
on sustainability, mm-hmm. ethics, consciousness, any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, just give, you know, just give the tools to these incredible designers, next generation of designers, and they will, um, you know, they can create things that are so much better, mm-hmm. um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another, oh, there are just so many of them. Um, who else have I been loving recently? Um, Let's say Bird top Song. three. Top three. Okay. Yeah. So I've done better ones. So Birdsong are another brand I mm-hmm. love. Um, they're very new to us, but I just think um, Sophie's, the, her activism, mm-hmm. um, the messaging and, and what the passion and the strength that comes from each piece is just and so inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that activist background that every piece has. It really makes you think. Mm-hmm. Super sustainable, super ethical, but just so on point in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, so birds are definitely um, another brand. Who else am I loving at the moment? We've got some amazing, um, I can't even think right now, but we've got some, oh, I mean, I have to mention my, so Conflict of Ego is also another mm-hmm. favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, Alana, who's designer of Conflict of Ego, has been, is the brand I've worked with the longest out of all of them. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first pop-up store that I did on my own, um, on Brick Lane in, God, it was like 2000, end of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of the brands that joined that um, and has been with us on this journey since. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the brand and I love seeing it grow. I love that we were able to take her to China and to grow her business there. She's come to Milan with us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, that brand is a special, a special place in my heart. Um, it's like yeah. a baby. Yeah, I think yeah. you're mentoring these brands as well. You know, that's why it kind of feels like it's so great to see them grow and you know just you know be successful. I personally love yeah. all the brands that you mentioned, and it's actually very cool because I met Andrea from Bedouin, I think, in two thousand fifteen in Dubai um and back then and back then sustainability was not really existing um did not really exist so she had a fashion show during one of the you know events fashion events and we kind of connected over a drink and um yeah I think it's really cool because she has a great aesthetics and really really Mm. beautiful pieces So it's amazing to see that someone like that, a designer like that, can actually be honest, conscious, sustainable, right? Everything at once. So it's really cool. I want to ask you one thing, which I am very curious of personally. When you started to build Lone Design Club as a brand, um, what, what were like the key essential things that you had to do in order to kind of make it a brand? Like... What was your approach in terms of marketing and PR and how you're going to, you know, make it different, make it cool? Uh, it was, yeah, this is tricky. So we, so Learn Design Club started so organically. Mm-hmm. Um, we never set out to start it as a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a reaction to uh, the market and it mm-hmm. was a new, carving a new route for business, for small brands to access customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was never, there was never an initial business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, there was never any planning. It was very natural and organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that just grew because I was using pop-ups as a sales vehicle for my personal brand, but also this, this community of designers was just growing and more brands were wanting mm-hmm. to use or to, to do what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So it was very organic. Um, but it wasn't until May 2018 mm-hmm. one of our directors, um, who's very involved in the business, um, you know, said that this is something that we you know we should consider because, mm-hmm. you know, Debenhams, um, House of Fraser, big mm-hmm. companies here in the UK were um, going bust, um, moving on, mm-hmm. and it just was starting to prove that the retail landscape was really shifting. Mm-hmm. Customers' mindset was shifting. Um, obviously, the current pandemic has seriously turned this on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all very much a reaction to the market. Um, 
and it was just carving, I guess, carving its own path on mm-hmm. how can we support these brands? Mm-hmm. How can we encourage a more conscious approach to shopping? Mm-hmm. So you didn't have uh, personally any kind of, I don't know, visual image in your mind that this is going to look this way and this is the strategy we're going to use. And you were kind of going with the flow, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the mm-hmm. aesthetic comes from my own, what I like, my mm-hmm. own aesthetic um, and my brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've curated around that, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is all very natural, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the rest is all very organic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. It's all just kind of, I guess it was all, it all, I guess it all kind of, It happened or it moved in that direction. Not to say it was easy. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, you know, there were times we didn't need to plan and strategize. We we did. And we have since May 2018. We have heavily, you know, spent a lot of time, made mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes, um, done a lot of things wrong, done a lot of things right by accident. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was, it was never set out to be a business itself. It was very much a reaction. Um, mm-hmm. and an opportunity, um, and a window that, you know, felt that we could make some serious change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And how did you complete your team? Was it also like an organic sort of thing for you? Or was it like you, you were trying to recruit people to the business later on? Honestly, team and recruitment is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. In my experience, finding people that are aligned to your vision, mm-hmm. uh, finding people that um, are motivated enough, that mm-hmm. are passionate and driven. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a startup, you you can't rely on nine to fivers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a couple, but what you really need is people that are dedicated, passionate and driven about the business mm-hmm. and its values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm lucky that I picked up great people on the way, but mm-hmm. I've also made a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. and I've also learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, you know, it, it's not a, it's definitely not something unique to my experience. I mm-hmm. think everyone says hiring and management is the most, and recruiting is the most difficult part. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't realize that until you've gone through it. And everyone's experience is so different and unique but mm-hmm. finding the right people is absolutely it's the most crucial mm-hmm. make or break to a business mm-hmm. but it's also the most difficult part and it's also heartbreaking and hard because yeah. you emotionally invest yourself mm-hmm. in people mm-hmm. and you know in certain process and structure mm-hmm. and it doesn't go to plan mm-hmm. and you know when you're especially if you're a single founder or you know for co-founders it's the same Mm -hmm. but without a good enough top level support system of Mm -hmm. advisors or um you know a board Mm -hmm. or having you know a co-founder to lean on um it's extremely lonely Mm -hmm. and it's extremely hard it's just so emotional you know Mm -hmm. you, you think people will work out and they they might not and there's nothing wrong uh it's just not meant to be you know, mm-hmm. and, or you, you know, expectations, but then when you do find people that are good and are aligned, then you've got to keep them, yeah. and those are the people that you never want to let, let go of, mm-hmm. so it's, it's the most difficult part, mm-hmm. uh, we've by no means perfected it, um, but we have learned a lot, especially in the last six months, we learned a huge amount, um, we grew around December time, we took on too many people and grew too fast, mm-hmm. um, And then, the, so actually the pandemic for us has been an interesting time mm-hmm. to reevaluate and reflect on mm-hmm. actually who are we looking for? Mm-hmm. What do we want? And who is the right person to join the team? Because it's not fair people that aren't the right fit joining mm-hmm. um, when it's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who join startups are these type of people who look for opportunities for themselves. And it's very difficult as a founder because I'm I'm also a co-founder, so I know how it works. It's very difficult to actually find a mutual way to work together because they just kind of want to jump on things and, you know, 
do it for themselves. It's, it's yeah, and I think that's not the purpose. So thanks for sharing. Um, no worries. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think we're pretty much good with the live. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, um, I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to ask you the last question, which I forgot of, <laughs> but now I remember. So in the beginning, you were the only founder, right? There were no co-founders because I saw, um, you know, on your LinkedIn that you're a founder. So there are no other co-founders, right? So for Lone Sign Club, mm -hmm. I'm the only founder. Mm -hmm. But when I had my brand, I had a co-founder. So I mm -hmm. was working with a friend mm -hmm. um, when I was doing my clothing brand. But Lone yeah, yeah. Sign Club, I, I did on my own. Mm. And was it hard for you to do it on your own? Having like no yeah. one to really, you know, talk about the strategic moves and things like that? It's, I mean... I mean, yes, it's super difficult, but I was lucky because mm -hmm. when we set Lone Sign Club up, mm -hmm. we had, I set it up with a director. So he, um, <clears throat> I set it up with um, mm -hmm. a business mentor mm -hmm. um, who was much older, very experienced. He was not active. He was essentially an investor advisor, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but also became part of the board and became a director in the business. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very lucky in the fact that I had somebody I had that mm -hmm. shoulder to lean on. Mm -hmm. um, I had that person with a huge amount of business experience. Um, he supported the entire investment, the beginning of the investment raises, mm -hmm. um, supported the business side, taught me you know, everything, finances, cash flow, budgeting. Um, I would never have done it without that support. Mm -hmm. he, he was the one that pushed, pushed me to do it, um, mm -hmm. but I would never have taken that leap on my own. Mm -hmm. And I think you need you really need that you need you need different people and you need enough of a support network um because it's so hard doing it on your own even now it feels it's very difficult at times and i have the most incredible coo mm -hmm. um alice mcanulty who mm -hmm. is absolutely fantastic but we both you know both it's still very hard mm -hmm. um you know and we've got eight fantastic advisors we've got a board um very experienced business um, business leader. Um, got a management team. We're extremely lucky, but it's still so difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, you know, you need as much support and structure, um, mm -hmm. as many shoulders to lean on, people that are invested, that want to help, that are aligned with your vision as possible. Mm -hmm. And do you think like having these advisors and people that mentor you and help out in your business, do you feel like these people prevented you from doing mistakes or you still kind of had to do your own mistakes to learn? Yeah, I think you always have to make your own mistakes, um, mm. but they definitely limited. Mm -hmm. Again, it's difficult. It's like a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. um, if you do it on your own, you do it the way you think's best. It's one opinion, you go with it. Mm -hmm. When you add more, you know, chefs into the mix, you then have more opinions. Um, you then it's more overwhelming because there's different avenues you could go down. You're listening to different, constantly different feedback. Mm -hmm. It's also very exhausting and very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's important that you stick true to your vision and your values mm -hmm. and you're, I guess, quite rigorous and quite ruthless in mm -hmm. how you use advisors and mm -hmm. use that support. Mm -hmm. So not taking everything, but mm -hmm. taking you know, a very finalized, um, mm -hmm. potentially, you know, dispositional decision. Mm -hmm. And it's one of two things. Um, or using sounding board, but making it clear mm -hmm. that it's sounding board and it's not decision time. Um, otherwise, it can be, it can just be too, it can be too much. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I prefer, I like teamwork. I don't like doing stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I don't believe I can. Um mm -hmm. So I prefer to get as many opinions and have conversations um, with my team and with our advisors and management as I can and then make a decision that I feel is informed. Mm -hmm. And you yourself as a founder and now successful founder, right? Nominated by Forbes. <laughs> Still very early. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people that want to do their own startups? 
great advice thank you so much for sharing rebecca no worries thank you so much for having me thank you as well i wish you you know a great start of you know sales by 15th (laughs) thank you um and i guess we stay in touch thank you yeah thanks for everything thank you yeah keep in touch yeah and um, yeah hopefully catch you soon Yeah, thank you so much and thank you for everyone who tuned in and listened to our conversation. Bye. Bye, Domi. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. I think it was cool.
happened, so let me re-invite. Um, and for me, that is how change. I look really tired. 